Aerospace Unplugged. Hello, and welcome back to Aerospace Unplugged, a podcast dedicated to giving our listeners a behind-the-scenes look into all things aerospace. I'm your host, Carrie Sinclair, and today's episode is all about urban air mobility. Urban air mobility describes a world of drones, personal flying vehicles, and on-demand air travel that is just beginning to take shape. Many UAM designs incorporate multiple electric motors, These designs aim to provide a new kind of quiet, efficient, point-to-point aviation needed to navigate the world's cities. Joining me today to discuss urban air mobility is our Senior Director of Hybrid Electric Electric Propulsion, Brian Wood. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks, Carrie. Appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. That is quite a title. (laughs) Can you walk me through how you became a Hybrid Electric Electric Propulsion Director? Yeah. Absolutely. So my background is actually in mergers and acquisitions, um, as well as investment banking and private equity. So I started my career off uh, with Merrill Lynch in New York City, was there for a couple of years, um, and worked for a company in the South in their M&A group, and then started with Honeywell's M&A group about seven years ago in Phoenix. And um, what I've been able to do is is, is take a lot of the you know, skills and, and, and know-how and credibility, essentially, that I've established through my time in M&A and, and apply that towards a role like this. So I actually started off in a new business development role with Power Systems. And what all the buzz about was at that time was, you know, urban air mobility and hybrid electric propulsion, um, and supersonic aircraft, things of that nature. And so I, I found myself actually spending 80 plus percent of my time focusing on hybrid electric propulsion. And then it came about where, hey, we probably need someone to run this group. And this thing's really starting to, you know, take focus, and it's it's starting to grow, and it's it's becoming more and more important. And so, um, due to all the time that I had been focusing on that, uh, you know, sector, they they decided to appoint me essentially as you know head of the group, and um, you know the rest is history. Great, that's great. Well, I know our listeners are eager to learn about urban air mobility, and since you are the expert when it comes to hybrid electric engines, we have many questions for you. <laughs> Starting with, what is a hybrid electric engine? Yeah, absolutely. So it's essentially where you're taking, and I guess the easiest uh, parallel to draw is, think of something like the Toyota Prius, right, where you have lithium-ion batteries. So so you have a fuel source and you have a non-fuel source, let's say, that end up providing power or thrust for the vehicle. So so here we're we're talking about the same thing, where you would take one of our turbine engines that we sell on traditional aircraft today, and you couple that with either fuel cells, um, lithium-ion batteries. um, uh, Plug-in? Yeah, you know, could be plug-in as well, right? So, So other things of that nature and those two in conjunction with each other, you know, then power electric motors, essentially, which then spin the actual props on the vehicle. And that's, that's how you end up, you know, with a, with a new propulsion system as opposed to using just a turbine engine. Okay. So let's talk about urban air mobility. What is that market exactly and what kind of need is it fulfilling? Yeah. So in regards to urban air mobility, the, the thing that we often hear most, right, is that up to $300 billion worth of productivity is lost every year in the economy, um, just in the U.S. economy, due to people sitting in traffic. That actually sounds really familiar to me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So the idea is that if you could fly up and above the traffic, especially in dense metropolitan cities like a Los Angeles or a New York City. Phoenix. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Phoenix. <laughs> Seems like that rings home to you. Um, and you can save time, and if you can do it at a price point, 
that's similar to what um, you the know, commute. Y- yeah, exactly. Similar to commute, which is actually what Uber's trying to get to in the long term, and to and to us, it would make all the sense in the world. And that's essentially what they're going after. Okay. So, but why? hybrid electric and not the tried and true engines of the past sure um so i guess four or five things so so one hybrid electric it'll be it'll be cleaner um it'll be safer it'll be um quieter and then it'll potentially even be cheaper as well so so those are really the four benefits that you would get out of hybrid electric and especially with um you know worries about global warming and uh you know excess carbon emissions things of that nature and and of course costs as well right um initially these things won't be at the price point of a car or an uber or you know a black car right so so doing everything we can to really get the cost point down um, and to make them as energy efficient as possible is 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 why it at least has to be hybrid now there are a lot of folks that are pushing for all electric from the very beginning and that's possible, but there are range um, there are range implications there, right? You might be able to do one trip or two trips, but then you'll have to charge stop up. and charge for ten to fifteen <laughs> minutes, and that's lost revenue while you're sitting on the ground. So okay, yeah. so I understand the cost implications, but walk me through safety. So so in regards to safety, if you take a look at a helicopter today, it has the one main rotor at the very top. Um, and, and we are talking them, about vertical flight here, right? Uh, yes, To be able correct. to land on buildings. Okay. Yeah, yeah, correct. Um, so as the one main rotor on the top, and then it has um, a lot of helicopters, and I'll actually uh, draw on what they do in New York City today. There's a company called Blade, actually, that, that uses single-engine helicopters to, to fly over the city. And so if, if either that helicopter fails or that main rotor fails, that, that could result uh, you know, in catastrophic loss for, for everyone on board. So with a, with a hybrid electric propulsion system where you're coupling a turbine engine with, with batteries, if one of those two fails, you're okay, and you can still land safely. Um, You've got redundancy. Exactly. You've got redundancy. If the main rotor goes out, you actually have six to eight rotors on these vehicles, now depending on which one you look at. But most common, you'll, you'll find about six to eight of them. If, if one or two of those fails, you'll still be okay. So once again, you've got redundancy not only in the propulsion system, but also in the prop slash fan. So that's and you, really and you don't want safety. a two-engine because that'll add cost. Exactly. Two-engine right. would be way too expensive. And, and once again, um, getting back to the cleanliness of this, it, it, it just won't be energy efficient either. So Good. Okay, so uh, will all UAM vehicles be required to use hybrid electric, or do you think that some companies will go another route? Yeah, so... Our belief right now is that they'll at least have to be hybrid electric. Um, in certain places like Europe, honestly, hybrid electric may not be clean enough. So it, it, it may have to be all electric even in Europe. Um, okay. But at a minimum, yes, we believe they'll at least have to be hybrid electric. And what kind of certification criteria would they go through? Same as any FAA-related certifications or EASA? Yeah, um, and so they're actually still working through that at this point. And so the FAA rolled out the new Part 23 um, in in late 2017. Um, And so most likely, and these are discussions that we've had, you know, with the FAA and EASA and others, most likely they'll actually certify the engine um, as an APU. Um, So it'll be TSO'd, and then they'll actually certify the motors and the um, electric drive system as as part 33 which isn't typical isn't something that we've seen before but the idea is that the actual motors and motor controllers will be the main provider of thrust in this case and the engine will essentially be the auxiliary power unit that's you know providing power to those exactly great so how can it be more efficient 
just because it's not using as much fuel or exactly now it, there's a little bit of a game that's being played there because you're you're not counting the actual electricity that's used to charge the lithium ion batteries um, so that's not counted as local emissions right because it's being charged elsewhere off the grid and so there are a lot of you know corporations and individuals that put out um, put out numbers claiming that uh, a hybrid electric propulsion system will be you know 30 to 50 percent more fuel efficient. The, the true number, if you actually counted the emissions from the batteries, maybe it's closer to 5 to 10 to 15%. But it, okay. regardless, it'll be, it'll be more fuel efficient. So what kind of thrust are we talking about? How much power will these engines have? Yeah. Um, so the one that we've really showcased, which is the HCS 900 Turbogen, um, will be able to produce about 400 kilowatts worth of power. And so that's, that's, that's you know, quite a bit. Um, so we're no longer talking about thrust. We're talking about power. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Correct. We're talking about power. So, so, so tell me what 400 kilowatts really means. Yeah. So you could convert that back to horsepower, right? So that the ratio, you take horsepower, multiply it by roughly 0.74. That's how you get the kilowatts. Um, and um, I guess to you know put a little bit more perspective around that. So we're talking about six to 7,000 pound vehicles. So it's enough for the most part in conjunction with the lithium ion batteries to provide, you know, thrust for a six to seven thousand pound vehicle that will carry, you know, four to five passengers. So it it will do its job. Excellent. Okay. So this is gonna have an impact on cities worldwide. Yep. So what kind of noise are we going to expect from this? So so current estimates that we've seen, and it's funny, um, a lot of people get caught up on the actual engine itself as opposed to looking at the actual prop slash fans of the vehicle. So with a helicopter today, most of the noise actually comes from that one main the rotor, rotor as mm-hmm. opposed to the actual propulsion system. And so what we're now doing with these vehicles is we're talking about six to eight different uh, rotor slash props. And so you've got smaller rotor slash props that will actually spin at a fraction of the speed of what that one main rotor um, spins at today. And so if you take everything that I just mentioned, the the theory, or at least the belief, is that these things will end up being one-fourth to one-half as quiet as a traditional helicopter, which will then hopefully blend in with the... you know, overall noise envelope of the of the city and of the surrounding areas, thus not, you know... Not quite as disruptive it. as a current exactly. helicopter. Exactly. Kind of. Okay, so um, what other challenges have you come across? Um, so the problem in general, not the problem in general, but in regards to urban air mobility, there are just a lot of things that have to happen in order for this market to come together. So um, Uber will throw out a number like you know, 200,000 vehicles, for example, uh, by, by 2035 or 2040. Um, Do so, we have the capacity? Does <laughs> well, the industry so, yes. have the capacity? Yeah, and, and, and um, when you mention capacity, right, you have to think about numerous things. So you have to think about um, where will all those pilots come from today, right? How are you going to be able to train 200,000 pilots in the next, you know, 10 to 15 years? Now, there's a, there's a belief that these vehicles will eventually go autonomous, but how long will that take? Does that take until... 2035, 2040, um, supply chain slash manufacturing implications, right? The aerospace industry is not used to volumes like this at all today. So if we're now told that we're going to manufacture five times the amount of turbine engines that we traditionally do, how do we, how do we overcome that? Um, from an airspace management perspective, which you just talked about, how do you make sure these things don't crash into each other, don't crash into buildings, don't cause you know other sorts of... Uh, yeah, you're just really raising the traffic up yeah. above the cars. Yes, 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 exactly. Um, and so I could go on, but there's a list of you know, three or four other things that I would uh, you know, deem to be risk-slash-hurdles that really need to be overcome in order for this market to, to, 
uh, come to fruition. So um, okay, so speaking of air traffic management, yeah, when the skies are dark with all of these vehicles, yep. how are we going to manage all of that? Yep. So there, there are numerous regulatory bodies that are actually looking at this. So, so it's the FAA, um, it's EASA, it's, uh, there are numerous um, ASTM committees, numerous SAE committees. Um, GAMMA's actually formed the SFO committee to look at this. And That's so a lot are, of acronyms. <laughs> Can you take it down yes. for me? <laughs> so they're um, so essentially what they're looking to do Bunch of associations. Is, yeah, yeah. And so um, they're looking to use you know, essentially artificial intelligence or other means, essentially, of being able to, to manage this traffic. Because to your point, it'll it'll be extremely congested. Mm-hmm. And and how do you make, you know, not only the people in the vehicle feel safe, but from a public and, and, and a private private acceptance and a societal perceptance standpoint, how do you make everyone that's working in the buildings in those areas or that lives, you know, in and within, you know, a dense metropolitan city, how do you make them feel safe, right? That these things won't crash and won't, you know, cause an issue and so so on and so forth. So um, long story short, there's a lot of work being done in that area. Um, and um, they're making a lot of progress, but there's, there's still a lot of progress to be made. So are you thinking 2035? Um, I mean, when, will, when do you think we might see one of these vehicles in this guy? I... So the, the targets we've seen so far are actually as early as 2022 to 2023. Um, so I think we will start on a very small scale at that point, right? So most likely you'll start with, you know, routes to and from the airport, right? Which are essentially more simple um, and, and uh, more straightforward, easier to manage, right? And then what Uber wants to do or others want to do beyond that is then grow it to, you know, five vertiports in a city, then 10 vertiports in a city, then then 15, then 20, and then 25, and then expand right to, you know, 20 to 50 to 100 to 150 to 200 cities after that. So it, it'll it definitely uh, progress over time and it'll scale up over time. So if you had to um, guess, where do you think it's going to start? LA, New York? Yeah. Uh, so so Uber's targeted uh, LA and Dallas as, as their two launch cities in the U.S. And um, They've they've picked an international city and apparently they'll unveil what that is at the at the Uber Elevate conference this year. Um, and so you've and, mentioned uh, Uber a couple times. Are I there have. some other competitors as well? Um, so there are. Uh, so Airbus has actually launched its 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 own version called Voom, um, and so they're they're currently operating helicopters in, in Sao Paulo and Mexico City today. Um, and so Uber's looking to or sorry, Boom's looking to compete, which is a sub of Airbus. Um, Blade is a helicopter company that's currently offering service through helicopters today in New York City, in L.A., um, and other places throughout the country. And then there are certain um, municipalities, actually, that are that are looking to manage this themselves. So just like um, municipalities manage the bus system, yeah, the bus system, the rail system, the train system, so on and so forth, really? you know, in their mind, they're thinking, why can't we manage this as well? Um, and do it as a scheduled service, perhaps, right? So just like the bus every morning would come at mm-hmm. 8, then 8.07, then 8.17, then 8.24, Every 10 minutes. Yes, You're aggressive. Exactly. I like it. Why, <laughs> why can't they do the same here? So I have a question. Uh, we talked about 200,000 potential vehicles. Yep. What would you recommend someone who's listening, who's maybe in their early 20s, who wants to get into this industry, what kind of pilot license might they want? What kind of experience might they need so that they can be uh, 
part of the shuttle system moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. So, so on the pilot front, honestly, I, I, I wish I had a better answer to that question. <laughs> it's, it's somewhat undetermined yet as to um, exactly what the classification of pilot license will have to be for a vehicle like this. Um, but so, at least a helicopter license or a pilot it, license to get started? Yeah, it'll it'll be much more similar to a helicopter license, that's for sure. Um, but for others, so, so uh, the Honeywell team is hiring. I know that um, you know, all of our competitors are hiring as well. There, there's a lot of... Um, a lot of startups, of course, right, that are engaged in this industry. So, um, And if you're interested course, in working at Honeywell, it's exactly. careers at Honeywell.com. Exactly. So, so of course, we're you know, a huge fan of what we're doing at Honeywell, right? We have our own dedicated hyperpropulsion group. We're you know, attacking it within every division at Honeywell. Um, so, so we're going full force. And so, yeah, we'd, we'd love to recruit you know, top talent to you know, assist our UAM efforts. Great. So I have many more questions around UAM. How will they be restricted in a time front? Like, so do you think it'll be just rush hour traffic or maybe once it's dark, they're done? Yeah. Um, it sounds like yeah. they might not know yet, but. Yeah, no, um, it's a good question. So so I think that the the most amount of volume or most amount of traffic will definitely occur during rush hour. Um, and then most likely to your point, there will be, just like you have today with airports where you've got certain time constraints that you can't fly into or you can't take off from airports, for example, um, most likely that will be there'll be time constraints put around that. Um, so I would look I would look for for by far the busiest times of the day to, to, to be during rush hour. So let's talk altitude restrictions because I'm very interested because Phoenix particularly is one of the rare cities that has a downtown airport. Basically, the yeah. airport is right by downtown. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you think um, altitude restrictions would take place in most cities, and then how would it impact a city like Phoenix where the airport's so close to downtown? Yep, yep. No, it's a good question, especially because um, if you look, so 30% of Uber and Lyft rides actually go to and from the airport today. So if you if you follow that... <laughs> so it doesn't really matter where the airport is. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, but I guess if you if you... Follow that same same logic, and you assume that you know thirty percent of these rides will go to and from the airport as well. I th- um, I think what you're getting at is how will you how will you manage that traffic right? That given class that you have, A airspace exactly. Given that you have all this you know air traffic taking off from that Correct. airport as well. That's where I was going with it. Yep, exactly. And so once again, that's something that all the different regulatory agencies are are working through, um, and they'll look to you know leverage things like artificial intelligence and more to to assist with that it's it's just it's not an easy not an easy problem statement by any means but there's a lot of progress being made a lot of smart people working on that problem exactly all right so if the world is to comply with emissions regulations is it essential to pivot towards emission-free transportation systems and and do you think this will spread outside of the urban air mobility to other aircraft as well I think so, yeah. And so we are doing everything within our power, right, to look at biofuels or look at, you know, alternative sources of energy, which which um, could then power our, our turbine engines and actually be cleaner than something like lithium-ion batteries or fuel cells. I mean, if you technically use a, a hybrid electric engine or a turbine engine uh, to power one of these and you're using biofuels, that's that's, technic- or that's technically zero emissions, right? So, right. Um, but yes, there are, you know, there's clean sky initiatives in Europe. There are other initiatives in the U.S. and Asia and so on and so forth that are looking to drastically curb emissions, um, you know, for, for traditional aircraft. Um, and so there, there's a lot of work being done. And, and yes, yeah, so to answer your question, I think it definitely will 
um, you know, impact aircraft beyond uh, what we'll see in regards to urban air mobility. So are you working with our uh, peers over at UOP or Honeywell uh, performance materials? We are, yep. So um, we're working actually with the folks at, at UOP and, and some of our folks as well um, within our um, legacy ACS business, right? Okay. So not the homes business, but the... Of sensors. Just fun off. Correct, the sensors business. And so we're doing work with them, right? We're trying to come to, to market... Um, you know, by, by thinking about all aspects of the ecosystem and, and to make sure, right, that we're leveraging all the different businesses within Honeywell, right, to, to make sure that we can provide the most valuable and the most comprehensive offering in this space. Okay. So lastly, uh, how will hybrid electric engines create a safer experience for passengers? I know we touched on it earlier, but I just want to kind of wrap it up with some safety. Sure. Yeah. So I think it's really about, you know, once again, going back to the redundancy, not only in the propulsion system, uh, but the redundancy with the props and rotors. So you're going from one prop or sorry. Yeah. uh, One prop now to, you know, six to eight props on average. And then you're going from having potentially just one turbine engine in a helicopter, right. To having two sources of power, right. So you'll have the actual um, turbine engine, let's say coupled with lithium ion batteries. And so, that's that's really how it'll become more safe. Now, you've touched on all the things in regards to airspace management as well. Uh, those are, you know, huge when it comes to uh, you know safety. And so, a lot of work being done in that area once again. And and um, we're following all that closely. Right. So I really appreciate you joining us today, and I feel like I got an education, which is great. <laughs> I do like to ask our guest a question at the end of the sure. podcast. How do you unplug at the end of the day? How do you relax and unwind? Oh man, unfortunately, I don't. I don't think I do enough of that. Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, typically up till you know eight or nine or ten. I feel like working on on it most nights, um, which I love because it's been it's been a ton of fun working in and within this area. Um, so you unwind by doing more work. Yeah, I don't want doing that. You're um, a great employee. I, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Honeywell shareholders better love me. But um, um, after that, though, I'll I'll, I'll try to find what. Um, Try to find time, honestly, to, you know, sit down and relax with my wife, whether it's, you know, in the backyard um, or it's in front of the TV, you know, watching a show that we like together, something of that nature. But okay, I, 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 I could definitely work on that more. All right. I think we're <laughs> going to have to suggest some hobbies for this guy. That's right. <laughs> All right, everyone. Once again, my name is Carrie Sinclair. And thank you again to listening to Aerospace Unplugged. To find out more about urban air mobility, please visit our website at aerospace.honeywell.com. Safe travels, and we'll see you next time. This episode was produced by Katie Carney and edited by Chloe Dake.